At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I, I will caution you, all right, and, 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 and that this is not going to be, you know, uh, spending like a uh, drunken sailor, you know, to those type of comments. It's going to be a, you know, this is going to be a very measured process. We're going to make sure that whatever decisions we make uh, free agency-wise, that it doesn't sink this organization for years to come, but it, it builds this organization for years to come. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor early in the morning? And right now I'm looking forward to the champagne. Maybe get drunk tonight. <laughs> way, hey, that's your raises. Way, hey, that's your raises. Way, hey, that's your raises early in the morning. Correa, high fly ball, deep to left field. Carlos Correa! Three run ball! Way, hey, and up she rises, way, hey, and up she rises, way, hey, and up she rises early in the morning. When Al Avila said those comments, I found a way to somehow implement that with the Irish, the Irish Rovers doing a song called Drunken Sailor, which talks about. <laughs> I hard living in the 17th century. Welcome to Tigers Radio here at MotorCityBangles.com and, of course, the Tiger Bangles Report YouTube channel. I am Rohel Castillo. This time is Chris Brown and Uper. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Our Heart Media, Stitcher, and Google Play. Make sure you give us a five-star review or a four-star review and just let us know how we're doing. We really appreciate that. Again, every rating goes far. So coming up tonight, we are going to be talking about the presser. We're going to talk about the Arizona Fall League, the Instructional League roster. Uh, we did get two really good questions. We'll probably take up some time. And postseason baseball as the White Sox got spanked today by Houston. The There was a number two that Chris just posted in our Twitter chat that was also sad and depressing for people in the Midwest. But the Midwest has been taking a beating between St. Louis and Chicago the last couple of days. But the Cardinals couldn't get it done last night as the Dodgers mm-hmm. prevailed. And everybody at first was really upset that Max Scherzer was pulled, but Dave Roberts knew exactly what he was doing with Joe Kelly with that knuckle curve and got it done. So the Dodgers advance and you, if the Dodgers didn't advance based off that record, 
that would have just kind of erased the, that taste of the World Series last year, wouldn't you think? Well, I mean, there are definitely people who look at the shortened COVID season and, you know, someone's going to want to put an asterisk on it. But, you know, they wanted fair and square. But I think um, what it would have shown for the first time since they've had the wild card, the two-team one-game playoff, um, this was the biggest disparity, I believe, in terms of wins for teams. Uh, you know, the 90-win Cardinals or 91, whatever it was, and the 106-win Dodgers. Uh, so that would have been really, I mean, the Dodgers are obviously the superior team from April through October uh, by a long way. Um, so it would have been kind of sad for them to see that all that work get knocked off in, in four hours uh, in one game. So I think in some respects, some justice was done and we got the better team into the next round. I agree with that. And Chris, I mean, in terms of uh, how much you, you watched the game last night, the, again, it was a matter of, Kelly Jansen always comes in postseason kind of with a beat up a little bit because he's used so much during the regular season, but the bullpen got it done last night and credit to that, to the addition of Dave Roberts, but just this is a veteran team that didn't really mess around. Mookie Betts went two for four. And again, but it was like one of those old school brawl games where in terms of just like just lack of offense, but Chris Taylor, who I hope is a tiger, with a game-winning home run there. Um, what were your thoughts about last night's game? Yeah, it was enjoyable uh, for, you know, the nonpartisan fans to sit there and watch. It's a, it's a nice atmosphere out there at Dodger Stadium. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just kind of interesting for me to see that kind of continuing a, a bit of a trend. I, I don't know if I can call it a trend, really. It's kind of been half and half. We've seen, like, half really kind of stunningly bad starts from really good starters and half pretty good starts for starters. And and not to say that Scherzer's start was stunningly bad. It was just out of character for him. I think he had eight walks total since coming over to the Dodgers in 68 innings. And he walked, what, three guys in four innings yesterday, hit another, had a wild pitch. It just was not the Scherzer we're used to seeing. So that was kind of odd. But it did make for uh, some interesting managing there and all the bullpen stuff. And, uh, yeah, you, you kind of felt – like all it was going to take was one big hit and just nobody wanted to do it until Chris Taylor, you know, caught a hanging wrecking ball. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting that uh, I've for the last decade, I've been a huge Max Scherzer fan and nine times out of 10 or more, I would have said roll with Max there in that inning, get out, let him get out of that inning. But I really, in the moment thought uh, Roberts was doing the right thing, uh, bringing in a fresh arm because Max didn't look great. Plus, he was due up second in the next inning. So you were probably going to hit for him anyway. So um, I thought it made sense to bring the fresh arm in. Uh, somebody who could strike out some people like Kelly. Uh, so I, I thought Roberts really pulled the right string on that one. Yeah, and again, the Cardinals have a, had a hell of a season. They won. They went on the big winning streak. No one expected them to be here. Adam Wainwright, I thought, pitched pretty well, all things considering he went – Five and one inning, five, five, one thirds innings, four hits, two or one, one, two walks and five strikeouts. And he allowed that home run to Justin Turner. But I mean, uh, what more can you ask for, for a guy that essentially is your lifetime Cardinal who's going to be retired next year with, uh, well, I drew a blank there. Um, Yanni 
And so yeah, Molina. So I don't know why I just drew a big blank there, but either way, it's good for him. And it's just the car. I honestly, if you're a Cardinals fan, this is a, a better season you expect. You got contributions from Tyler O'Neill, who, by the way, last night uh, Tom Mazaway from Woodward Sports Network posted a picture of his father, who was a bodybuilder. No clue his his father is one of those old school Schwarzenegger bodybuilders and there's a picture of him on twitter and it's just yeah, i think i think he's canadian right tyler o'neill i don't know don't know oh, um but yeah I, I remember he is he is a uh one of the like most athletic players in in baseball uh super super strong and muscular and also like surprisingly fast it's kind of a, a very interesting that is correct he's mix. from british columbia by the way oh, there you go it's where they grow them strong, like the, <laughs> like the sequoias. Yeah, country strong. <clears throat> so let's get to the Alavila presser because that some of the audio you just heard the beginning was from the presser. And Alavila is a quote machine. And there's a lot of times where some people think that he says a lot without saying anything of value. <laughs> and I would sometimes I agree with that, sometimes I don't. But I, I think in this case, he was just a headline machine and just a quote machine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, I personally, myself, I rather have that than the old days of where Dave Dombrowski kind of gave you that cloak and dagger kind of thing. And so uh, you know, that's just, that's just me on that part, but um, yeah. And yeah, he, he's absolutely, Chris is uh, with us on YouTube and he's absolutely right. He's been around a long time. He's a great catcher and for sure. I hope he does get in the hall of fame, but. The Alavila audio, by the way, is just priceless. And and just you saw the also the comment that if AJ Hinch says if they bring home a big player, he would kiss him on the cheek and and da da. And that, that was pretty funny too. And but it's really to me, I think that the biggest takeaway was is they don't need to they don't feel the need to make a big splash. And here's some of the audio from that presser. A big splash. It, it's it's a it's it's um uh, I guess that's a big uh, think now going into the off season, we're going to make a big splash. Our big splash is going to be wins and losses, or, or should I say just wins? All right. That's the big splash that I'm looking forward to. Uh, more wins during the regular season, getting to the playoffs. I want to make the big splash during the season with wins. All right. And getting to the playoffs, how that happens. Okay. There's a lot of different ways. So I'm not going to sit here and say, we're going to make a big splash or I want to make a big splash to be, we're going to sign so-and-so we're going to go out that's not i'm not going to say that and that's not going to happen we're going to go out there and we're going to make this team better we're going to make a push we're going to make this better every year that we're going to um if you don't have to sometimes you don't have to make a big splash sometimes a big splash turns out wrong for you and so um to go to going back uh in my first comment there's no fear factor in signing a big contract, but at the same time, you know, we're not looking at it as, Oh, we have to make a big splash. It's about. <laughs> and so I think it was Evan Woodbury or I think it was Cody Saberhagen, um, Saberhagen, um, Cody from the athletic that said they did a splash counter. I think it was like, he said the word splash like 39 times or 40 times. Oh. And we should, yeah, we should have had the bell ringing right there. But that was that that was one of the parts of audio there. But it was, again, he was basically trying. I think he. I'll start with you, Uber. I feel like he's 
Because uh-huh. I think you you being the Alvila, I guess uh, you studied his audio <laughs> techniques. You studied his moves, and was there any, I guess, substance to what he said? I'm still recovering from the splash drinking game, <laughs> but you know it. Uh, he's just so meandering sometimes. He's all over the map. I mean, the, he's he, he can't spell the word succinct. I'll give you. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> You know, first, we're not going to make the big splash, or maybe we will. We're not afraid of it, by the way. We're not afraid of doing it, but we don't really feel the need to do it. I mean, who knows, right? I think that's what I took from that is who knows. He he kind of covered every base possible um, at some point in that long meandering diatribe there. Um, so I think what I want to choose and it's on my own personal choice uh, is that I'm going to cling to the part where he says he's not afraid to do it. If the right opportunity crosses them, uh, their path, hopefully they will make the move. Um, if they end up making four small splashes, <laughs> uh, mini splashes, that could work too. Um, but I just, it was just so... He was so meandering, it was really hard to keep track of at times. Chris, I mean, what about you? What was your whole impression of that? Well, I'll be honest. I don't really ever watch those news conferences. I, You know, I caught the clips on Twitter, but, like, I, I don't ever go into those and expect to hear anything of substance. So I, I didn't, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, what are they going to say? I've never, I've never seen one where they come right out and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is who we're going to sign. You know, they can't, they can't say who they're going to sign. And and you leave it up to the reporters to kind of parse what they were saying. And and I guess the ultimate message they got was, Hey, the Tigers are going to need a bunch of starting pitching. They might get one or two starting pitchers. Uh, They're going to get a catcher and then possibly an infielder. I don't know. Uh, So yeah, I, I will say I was a little disappointed. I mean, the, the idea that they're just acing out an outfielder, that would disappoint me a bit. Personally, I, and my, my opinion has been coming to the point of, uh, over time, I don't care where the guy plays. Can he hit? That's what they need. They need offense. You know, where they finish in home runs this year and where they finish in runs scored, they just need offense. Um, so I, whether he's an outfielder or is a shortstop or is a catcher, they need a guy that can hit. Or two, <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I admit too. I was a little disappointed at hearing that. Yeah, the idea of them getting a outfielder or just somebody who can hit. Period, and, and they could get that with a shortstop acquisition. They get it any other way they would like to. What also struck me was kind of odd too was the, you know, the input. Like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm paraphrasing, but Riley Green will be up here. I'm like, well, he should be. No mention of torque, so a lot of torque fans out there are probably wondering if he has to have a good spring or not. But it's also the fact that he also mentioned the no trading of prospects, and it kind of sticks to what the theme has been last couple of years. They're not; they're very they're going to keep the prospects. They're going to help them. I mean, is that open to interpretation that he's not going to trade any of them? Who knows? But there is. You have to look at the consideration of what's going on with Isaac Paredes, Isak Paredes, excuse me. Got to look at the what's uh, what kind of role is going to happen for Joey Wentz because is he going to be out of the bullpen? Is he going to be a starter? 
So there's a lot of things to consider with it comes to the farm system. And if you really think about it, though, and, and Chris, I think you can attest to this better than uh, both of us can attest to this. The farm system is not deep. I mean, right now, it, 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 it's right now, it's kind of on the surface. It's good. And don't get me wrong. It's made improvements. But we don't know what's going to happen with results and Revolve Risky. What kind of steps are going to take forward next year? I mean, I think Risky had a really good year. So did also when he came over. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm just with, with where Vango here is, I am kind of afraid of him being in charge. But I think some tells me that he has some help right now that's going to help him make that decision because the Robbie Grossman cha- signing comes to mind. But anyway, Chris, I don't think the farm system is as deep as everybody thinks it is. Well, no, and I, I think Al Avila said as much. He said he said he wasn't going to – I don't know if he you know dismissed anything out of hand, but uh, didn't he say that they, uh, they don't want to kind of deal prospects yet because they want to be sustainable, something along those lines? Yeah. Sustained success, which means basically – the way I took that was we've got these prospects up in AAA that are interesting and good, but there's no one behind them. So if we trade those guys, we don't have the depth – uh, so, but, but I don't really know what he means. Like if, if they need to start, you know, having prospects at every level, I don't really know what the point is there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely been a, a system that's super top heavy. We talked about it before I wrote an article about it. They, they had five top 25 prospects coming into the season and, uh, no other prospects at the top 100, which has never happened before. There've only been a handful of teams that had five top 25 prospects. They also had guys in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that beggars didn't have anybody else. And we saw some guys, you know, I, I don't I don't think, uh, you know, Dingler snuck onto the top 100 at, at fan graphs. You know, who knows if Kreidler goes out there and, and, and does well and shows some stuff in, in the AFL, he might sneak into the back of a top 100. I doubt it. But uh, yeah, beyond that, like you mentioned Brisky and, and Olsen. Those guys are solid depth arms, but you're not going to expect them to come up to the majors and be impact players, really. So. Yeah, they definitely need to add to their depth and, and start getting some more solid talent coming through the system. And I think that's kind of, you know, the the reason behind all these changes in the player development staff. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, too, the so the Tigers made a another change, which, I again, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in terms of the other person involved in this, but with that being Dan Hubbs, but. They went back to the Dodgers and they got themselves a, a vice president of pitching development who was working, Gabe, was Gabe, Gabe, don't blank his Rebus? last name. Yeah, Rebus. Rebus. Rebus, yeah. And it, it's interesting in a sense that like what he's done, he's done a player, it, like, develop development plans for each player. He's done a lot of work getting that in terms of, uh, he used to be a pitcher in the Padres system, but Again, another West Coast Dodgers tie-in, and what does it mean for Dan Hubs? I, I don't know. Like, I think he, does he have Dan Hubs' title? I I don't remember. I haven't looked at the front office to see exactly what's going on. But but I do think that I mean we've seen a couple things along those lines that are interesting. Um, you know, they they people some people were kind of shocked that the Tigers let uh, Tom Prince go. It's Tom Prince, right? The uh, the manager yeah. of Toledo. Yeah. Uh, after they won the division and uh, geez tough business and it's like well winning is probably like the eighth thing that teams <laughs> care about in the minors 
Um, and, and there's a, you know, we have a, there's a very simple explanation for why they got rid of him. Uh, and, and that would be that Dave Littlefield was the one who hired him. Right. And Dave Littlefield's not in charge of the miners anymore. So they want somebody else in charge of that. Uh, you know, I had some sort of irresponsible speculation about stuff regarding him, but maybe he was a little too concerned about winning and maybe not, um, you know, developing the players as best as possible there in AAA. I think we, we I mentioned it to you, Raj, that, that yeah. like Torque didn't, I don't think, played a single game at third base in, in Toledo. And, and I don't think like the, most of us agree that he probably shouldn't just play him at first, whatever. But that seemed to be part of the plan coming up through the system. And I don't, I don't know why they would spend half the season doing that and then just suddenly in Toledo go, no, nope, don't worry about it. And, and Riley Green played a lot of corner outfield after playing exclusively center field, basically. I think he played a handful of games in the corner in, in, in uh, Erie. So, yeah, I was just, just kind of curious if he was just out there trying to field his best daily lineup and, and not concerned about developing the players anymore. So, like I said, that's irresponsible speculation. It's most likely just he was a little field guy and Littlefield's not in charge anymore. Uh, yeah, and, and so just to get back to the, the individualized, you know, pitching plans, that's something we started hearing about with the Astros a few years ago, I think. And it makes so much sense that I don't understand why teams haven't been doing it forever. <laughs> but I think our, you know, our buddy Jake was just talking about, you know, it was just a couple of years ago where they were talking about implementing the Tiger's way or whatever, you know, the, the, the Caesar set of, system. Yeah. Well, just like a set of ways to, uh, you know, this is what everybody in the system is going to do. This is the way we're going to, you know, play. And that's, you, you can't have a blanket development program because every player is different. And so you really need to, you know, be kind of agile and, and figure out different ways to help guys. So hopefully this leads to that. Well, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take to see results. Yeah. I mean, the biggest takeaway I got from all that too, is that with even the new player, uh, Ryan uh, Garko and the way that they, they, they're going about, tackling the minor leagues is a brand new fresh approach that we haven't seen before. And we saw glimpses of it this year throughout the system, but it's also, when you talk about Prince, I, I would agree with you on that because look what happened in Erie. Erie has made no changes at all. And I think it's because Ari, um, Ari, Arnie Baylor. Yeah. yeah. Remember they brought him, they brought him and had him in the, uh, the MLB dugout down the stretch. Yeah. That, so that, he was just... saying something. You're right. And oh, what about Pena? I mean, hopefully Pena comes back. Yeah, I, well, I think I think at this point we've probably heard about all the the people. You know, they they didn't say anything about Prince because their season wasn't over yet. But I think everybody else who's going to get replaced has been replaced for the most part. We never know. Uh, there was the one year when uh, we were looking forward to Gerald Laird managing the New York Penn League, and that didn't quite work out. <laughs> That's right. It's going to be very interesting, you know, as they try to build, continue to build the farm system and add the depth. If they do make the splash move or or the mini splash move at the at the major league level, you know, how is the rebuild viewed? Is it are we done, or is it never ending? Um, only because I say that because you look at some of the better teams in baseball, like 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 the Rays, they they have they develop their farm system continually, whether they win ninety seven games or uh 78 games right mm -hmm. so uh i just think so much of this season which was enjoyable i know i, I I'm a broken record there because i always want to put that out there to make sure i'm understood by the folks it was a good year but 
I don't know if it was the build from, you know, the winning percentage from last year to the winning percentage this year. I don't know what that means in terms of the next step. I mean, are they automatically going to take another, you know, 50 point bounce in uh, winning percentage next year or whatever. Uh, it's just, I'm not sure they can add enough offense this year to, to push themselves forward into a contention next year where we can say, yeah, this rebuild is done, man. We're, we're rolling. I think it's going to be continuous. And I, and I look at it this way, what the wins doesn't concern me. What I saw was somebody take a bullpen was it almost exact same bullpen as last year. And after may become a formidable weapon. I mean, Funkhauser, you look at the, that to me is progress. That is someone who saw, I mean, even like when I did the article on Tyler Alexander, for example, he didn't start throwing that cutter again until this year. And he started using that more towards one. You could see that like the, the, the timeline is after May. It's almost like AM, like basically for abbreviation, because honestly, you look at Tyler Alexander's numbers after May, after they figured out that, figured out that he was better as a starter and utilizing his cutter, in addition to a decent slider in his four seam, which, I mean, he was four seam heavy all the time. That made his other pitches better because sequencing made it, he was a lot of the sequence it better. So to me, that I, that's my biggest takeaway of everything happened this year is that we saw guys make some sort of change. No offense to Rick Anderson, but I didn't see nothing. I didn't see anything like we saw this year with the pitching staff. They adjusted. They were constantly making adjustments. And that, to me, I, 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 I can't think of a, a time I watched baseball in the last since since 2016 or 20, even you know in the good old days. Like in the good old days, there's just a superior talent. But you couldn't really would a it was hard to tell whether or not the adjustments were being there, yada yada yada. But you saw it in the pitching staff. And that to me is most encouraging. And it doesn't it shouldn't stop. You shouldn't have a farm system that keeps going and going, turning them out. You look at Cleveland. Cleveland does that and they they're still in contention. And that's how they teams should do it. Good teams continuously, they don't stop. I'm real interested next year uh, when you talk about those kind of improvements. Uh, someone who didn't get to experience it this year was uh, Alex Fajardo. I mean, can't what what can they do with that arm? Uh, That's a good call. Once he gets plugged into the Chris Better system uh, and he's able to pitch. And obviously, they probably take a few months, a couple months anyway, to get you know get his command back and and, and take those steps necessary post Tommy John. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he's a reliever or if they can find a way to make him a starter again. You know, I, I I'm a little split in my mind what they're going to do with that. But um, the other thing that they didn't mention in that press conference was bullpen. Really, uh, other than naming Soto the closer in the seventh or eighth or ninth inning, <laughs> which was an interesting quote, uh, but it made sense to me, actually. Bullpens are so year to year. You know, does the Chris Better system, can he help beat that, where these same core guys are going to come back and be fairly productive? Or is that just how bullpens are? You know, they were pretty good this year. Next year, we have no idea. So my hope is, even though Avila didn't mention finding relievers, I hope they're trolling the scrap heaps for live arms. Like they found Cisnero. You know, can they find the next uh, Jose Cisnero? I don't think you ever stop doing that either, even whether, whether you mention it in your postseason press conference or not. Uh, yeah, you know, it was funny. One of the – when I was looking up stats for – uh, you know, the uh, inside the numbers, I, I decided to check out some relief 
numbers. And I looked uh, over the final month of the year, you know, September, October, uh, Michael Fulmer was one of the best relievers in baseball. Uh, Alex Lang was in the top 20. Uh, I, I said, all right, well, let's look at the second half. And Jose Cisnero was one of the worst relievers of the second half of baseball. But, it, and you know, his like a strikeout of five for nine and walks of like six for nine. It was just not the guy that we're used to seeing. And you know, he eventually, you know, left the season or, you know, went on the injured list. But it is one of those things where you have to wonder, you just never know. These these guys are good for a little while and then it just ends. And and you don't know if it happened now or if it's just the end of a long season. Uh, yeah, Funkhauser kind of struggled down the stretch too. So it's it's just, uh, yeah, you always have to bring in some fresh arms in the bullpen. And that's, you know, one of the uh, uh, other interesting things I saw today, saw a tweet, and it was about the Tampa Bay Rays uh, ALDS roster and where it's makeup, where, where the players come from. So of the 26 players, only five of them are homegrown. Mm -hmm. uh, three or were free agents and 18 of them came via trade. So that's, uh, I think that's an indication of a couple things. Number one, that the Rays absolutely know what they want in players and what to target. And they use their prospects as currency more than anybody else in baseball. And they develop yeah. these prospects and they move them on to get the players that they want. And, and if that's the sustainability that Avilo wants, then he's got a long way to go. Definitely. That's a, that, and that's a good way to put it. And speaking of prospects, by the way, the rest of the Arizona Fall League is Chavez Fernander, uh, Fernander Wilmer Flores, which that was a name that both Chris and I kind of raised our eyebrows, and we'll get back to that in a second. Zach Hass and Garrett Hill. And, and for Flores, his numbers at Lakeland were just strikeout numbers per inning was just, it, it stood out. And it sucks because we didn't have any video of him. And I tried looking on YouTube. I couldn't find anything because his brother comes up all the time. Yeah. And I like to see him pitch. It's one of those, pit, one of those prospects along with, I, had, I was one of the few prospects I did not get to see this year. I'm interested because he's coming from low A. Chavez Fernander, by the way, is, was spent time between West Michigan and double A. Same with Garrett Hill. And so those, the, the Fernander kind of surprised me a little bit because his numbers were, you know, they were solid. I mean, he's a two, three pitch guy. Well, maybe, yeah, he's got three pitches. But to see him on the fall roster kind of actually, that really surprised me. And mid-90s fastball, a decent breaking ball. He was really good at West Michigan. He kind of struggled at first in the area, and then he got the hang of it a little bit. And this is a guy who was a Jamaican, the first Jamaican player. I think he's the first Jamaican player for the Tigers. I think he's from the Bahamas. Bahamas, sorry, Bahamas, sorry. Bah yeah. Um, Bahamas, yeah. Yeah, it's a Caribbean player. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Well, first of all, you know, Torkelson, Green, and Kreidler is the best group of position prospects the Tigers have ever sent to the AFL, as far as I, I can remember. I mean, I think Torkelson and Green are the two top prospects in the entire league by most Copy. accounts. Um, so that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. When's the last time we said that? I, I, I remember the years when it was like Jordan Linnerton and uh, – <laughs> You know, you send guys out there. But, yeah. Yeah. In, in some ways, the pitchers are a little bit more interesting. Uh, and as you was saying in, in our private chat, the pitching in, in the AFL is usually pretty bad. It's, you know, it's it's not a great environment for pitching, for one thing. It's it's usually a great hitting environment. I remember, you know, there were, there were seasons in the AFL where players would finish with like a 440 batting average, uh, you know, that's just crushing the ball out there. But yeah, you, you've got four kind of vaguely interesting arms, and they're all interesting in different ways. We saw 
Fernander there in Erie. That one time we went out there, Raj, and uh, yeah, I remember he, he was touching ninety six. I think in that game, ninety five, maybe touching ninety six. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So it, it, it you know, they, they've sent pitchers kind of like him out, out to the AFL before. Like I remember Jeff Thompson, the uh, pitcher out of Louisville. Uh, you know, they, they, sometimes they send guys out there just because, or you know, maybe the, you find some interest. Uh, other teams, other other teams, you know, see a guy and then, hey, we could use him in our minor league system. But sometimes they want him to, you know, get a taste of the best top competition possible and see, like, okay, this is why you have to do these certain things if you want to hit the big leagues. And, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't put a big league future on Chavez Fernander just yet. But uh, who knows if he goes out there and plays well. Um, Garrett Hill is kind of interesting as, as, you know, I've always kind of viewed him as like a touch and feel righty i don't know if i've ever actually seen him pitch i probably did in 2019 but don't remember i think we, we may did. have seen him we may have seen him this year actually but yeah i think we did we saw him in, i think we saw him in west michigan i'm pretty sure we saw him in west michigan but uh yeah he, he's kind of interesting because he suppresses home runs at like a spencer turnbull rate like he's only given up a handful of home runs in his whole pro career uh, and you don't know if that sort of thing is sustainable at all but it you know if, if that true turns out to be a true skill then you might have something there and then Zach Hess, of course, was, was a top 10 round pick uh, a few years ago. He is not, I think some people were pretty excited about him when they saw him in the, what was it, the uh, summer camp? I think it was. He was coming out and throwing uh, in the upper 90s. But we've, we've seen him, I don't know, a half dozen times now. And, he, you know, he, he touches like 94 in most outings, and that's about it. Mm. You know, occasionally throwing above average slider, but it's really violent delivery. So, I don't really know what they have there at Hess. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you got to send some people out there and, and relievers are valuable. In the, in the yeah, as Ron said, Robert Flores is the one who is most interesting to me. And I'm hoping somehow we can get some more data on him. But but fortunately, we did have TrackMan data from the low A Southeast this year, the former Florida State League. So you can minor league splits compiles it for us and we've shared it around and, and yeah, Wilmer Flores, he's a big dude. He's like six, five, I think 240 pounds, something like that. He's a big, yeah. big kid. Big dude. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, according to the minor league splits, his fastball has, you know, borderline elite spin rates. It's like 2450. Uh, I don't know if that's borderline elite, but it's, it's certainly plus spin rates and it's been up to 97 and sits around 94 and then his curveball has really good spin and got a ton of swings and misses this year. So yeah, I'm really, really interested to see him. And he's one of the youngest players in the league there. So that's an interesting challenge. He's not even 21 yet. No. Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Spin yeah. rate on his fastball, his max spin rate this year, his average is 24-36. The max spin he had it out at was 26-22. But Chris, the number there's a number two that stands out is his curveball spin. Max was 2,800. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he can spin the ball. Yeah, He's a really fascinating case because he was a college kid, sort of. He was a junior college kid, I think, who signed as a free agent, you know, undrafted in 2020. There were only five rounds. And so we kind of viewed most of those guys as just like, ah, eh, you know, these are just kind of, going to be low minors depth but here's a kid who is very very young 
and obviously has a pretty good arm. So yeah, we, I just want to see it in action because you know there there are there's some guys in the system who have good arms. I'm thinking like Jesus Rodriguez, good arms, good size. Seems like he can throw forever, but doesn't have a major league future. So I just I'm I'm curious to see what Flores has. Yeah, there's going to be some of the games going to be streamed. Uh, so hopefully we get catch a game on a night that we're doing the podcast. So we can watch it together and talk about it. And hopefully he's pitching because he was a starter for Lakeland. And so in 53, he started in 11 starts this year. So it again, some of his numbers when you see them are just insane for, especially Lakeland staff, which was, let's be clear here, that was not that good. So they took a lot of, they took a lot of lumps. So well, a lot of those AFL games are bullpen games too. Yeah. I was just gonna say starters I think never go more than three or four innings at the most so and uh back I don't know 10 12 years ago I forget if they went from 50 games down to 40 or 40 games down to 30 for the league do you guys is it they play 30 games or 40 it's 30 this year I don't I, it used I feel to be like a four game league yeah they used to actually you know send a lot of uh kind of a second wave the second half of the league a lot of times they mm-hmm. replace those arms with some different guys uh i don't know if they do as much of that now with a shorter with a shorter run of the league itself yeah and they do have that though you know the so-called taxi squad players or whatever the guys who only play twice a week but uh i don't know it'll be fun to watch it's it's uh mm-hmm. it's always nice to check out the winter leagues yeah i'm looking forward to more baseball that involves the tigers at any point after the postseason Hello, Hillary and Chris to go inside the numbers. Sorry, you probably didn't mean to interrupt you there. Go ahead. Uh, no big deal. So it's almost like for the AFL, though, for like Torkelson and Green, it's it's if they don't hit 350, that's the problem in this league, right? That they, they, you almost have to dominate uh, the pitching in that league. You know, it's like if you're just kind of mediocre in that league, that kind of says something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I mentioned that in the article the, uh, that I wrote about it the other day because I kind of treat it like I used to treat short season ball, like, the, you know, Connecticut. Like if a guy comes out and rakes, you go, hey, that's good. If he comes out and struggles, you go, hey, I was probably tired. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, you look back and I mentioned these two examples. Nick Castellanos, as a 20-year-old, hit 240 with one home run in the AFL. And Mike Trout, as a 19-year-old, given, hit about the same with, like, five times as many strikeouts as walks. You know, and it was just at the end of his first pro season, and it's just like, uh, you know, it's a long year. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that with uh, the conversation about Nick Quintana. So, Chris, what is your inside the number? Uh, So my inside the numbers are 30 and 26. And that is where the Tigers offense finished ranked in – Fangraphs war and baseball reference war at the end of the year. 30th the Fangraph, uh, 26th the baseball reference. Uh, and this is, uh, kind of goes to what you were saying, but not quite. Um, because uh, on a pure offensive basis, they were kind of on the low side to middling. They finished with a 93 weighted runs created plus, so 7% below league average, uh, which tied them with Cleveland, Philly, and Seattle. And uh, they ranked 17th. To baseball reference on pure offensive war uh what what dinged them uh, horribly in both of these stats was they finished last in defense to both sites um so like on the one hand it, it's a real bummer on the other hand it feels like hey that seems like something that might be a little bit easier to fix i mean it, it's it's tough 
you know, I remember back in the day when the Tigers would like, it seemed like they were going back and forth and like, hey, let's get an offensive shortstop. Oh, he sucks at defense. Let's get a defensive shortstop. It was like, you know, going from Rinsia to Adam Everett. <laughs> uh, and what you really like is you'd like to get right there in the middle, somebody who's good on both sides. But yeah, so I, I looked at fan graphs. The Tigers ranked 26th in catcher defense, 28th at first base, 22nd at second base. 28th at shortstop, 26th in third base, 28th in right field, 30th in center field, and 22nd in left field. Wow. So just bad across the board. Oops. Uh, and we don't know if they're going to make a big free agent signing, you know, good, you know, cue the big splash uh, comments. But I will say this, of, uh, you know, of the qualified hitters this year, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, and Carlos Correa ranked 9th, 10th, and 11th overall in defense this year. So those are, you know, well-rounded players. And uh, just adding one of them would probably do wonders for the defense. So, uh, you know, I think just in, in general, getting those more well-rounded players uh, it, it would be a huge step in the right direction. Makes sense. Yeah, we for that splash. Uber, what is your inside <laughs> number? My number today is 255. That is the number of minutes last night's game lasted. Um, Four hours and 15 minutes to play a regulation nine-inning game. And I know we talk about it probably most years a little bit. It gets worse in the playoffs, but the games are really too long. Um, I know some of it is from the longer commercials breaks, which they need to do to make their money. Totally get that. Um, but they need to do something. Four hours and 15 minutes. The, the sport wasn't designed for four hours and 15 minutes uh, to take. Um, it's probably to the point now where I don't know if you guys read Jason Stark's article a couple weeks ago about the 15 second shot uh, uh, pitch clock uh, that they were using in the minors and how um, like Raul Abanez was, was uh, watching the game for MLB and he, he was just raving about it. Um, but I think we're at the point now where they need to make the change and they need to get these games moving and they have to get it done in three and a half hours tops. Uh, for nine innings. I mean, if it goes extra innings, fine, whatever. But 4.15, and the Dodgers do this every year in the postseason. They have these incredibly long games. Um, so whether it's shortening the time for pitching changes, uh, more commercials side-by-side uh, -side while the action is going on, uh, or the I think the 15-second the pitch clock, um, we can't have any more 255-minute nine-inning games. Uh, they They need to make some actual movement on that issue i agree with you on that because i ended up falling asleep in the seventh inning i woke up and the, i was already like in the dark because my wife already went to bed so i didn't really i caught the end of it i mm -hmm. dvr'd the game because i knew full well that i knew I, was just, I don't stay past up past midnight anymore these days i'm just mm -hmm. but it's yeah you're right it's, it's way too long and it's one of those things too where especially the i thought the play-by-play commentary last night ron darling i thought did a good job he was good but i i don't know they they mess around things too much and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be the case and so when all games going into no, late november you know at this point you know i'm, I'm exaggerating but it's just <laughs> luckily we've been having seven degree weather up here in michigan so it's not been too bad okay well, i went to Went to a AAA game here in Des Moines when the when the Mudhens came through and they were running that 15 second shot. Or I keep saying shot clock, pitch clock, <laughs> uh, and um, you know it, it was great. Uh, as a fan, it didn't seem wrong. I mean, obviously the players would have to make that adjustment, and I'm sure uh, a lot of them have their reasons. You know, James McCann is a big 
anti-clock guy. Um, I don't know what James McCann knows that we don't know, but yeah, uh, you know, whatever. But I think the players would adjust to it. And I think as they come through the minors using the clock, that'll help too. Yeah, you know, one of, one of the I just wanted to mention one of the uh, interesting things to me was that the Yankees Red Sox game was only three hours and 13 minutes long. And, and normally I expect those games to be four and a half hours long every time, but yeah, I, I think it helped that the, you know, the Red Sox kind of took uh, control of it fairly early. But yeah, when they're close like they were last night and all those pitching changes, uh, I don't know. It, 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 sometimes, you know, we, we're down in Toledo. Raleigh and I went to a game last Saturday, the second to last game of the year, oh. and it was just a dreadful fair first of all there was a, like a 45 minute rain delay which wasn't like it wasn't a huge deal the game was yeah. scheduled for five i think and so it started at six but they i think both pitchers loaded the bases in the first inning it was it was i think we left in like the sixth inning or fifth inning and it was already like nine o'clock it was it was yeah. brutal wow. and so i, I mean there you know hopefully major league pitchers are better than that and, and you kind of expect that in the minors but yeah, there, there are always going to be some like, just ridiculously long games, but I do agree. I think, what did they say, that the, the, the pitch clock shortened games by 20-plus minutes yep. on average? So, yeah, I mean, that would be great. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I read Joe Sheehan's stuff a lot. Uh, he, he was saying that he would be in favor as a compromise of just putting the clock on uh, in the last three innings uh, and have relievers be the ones subjected to it because they're the ones who – have to really, you know, they 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 muster up their energy and they they get that yeah. triple digit pitch in there, and then they mess around for as long as possible trying to get a little bit of rest so they can come back and do it again. Um, and there could be something to that. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, there's yeah. Hopefully, it just gets streamlined a little bit. So my inside number is 0. 0. 0.059, 0.59, 0.459. And that is the slash line for one Jacoby Jones in the month of September. And he did not appear after a game. He didn't appear in a game until the last day in October. And before that was September 15th. And so when we went down there last week, we had a had an inkling based off the fact that Riley Green was called up, but he hadn't, he just basically stopped playing. He's going to be, he's now a free agent. He declared free agency today. And it's a, a, I don't want to say it's a sad ending because it is what it is. Jacoby Jones, I, I know there's a lot of Jacoby Jones fans in the audience, but look at his last numbers in August, 257, 313, and 351. The home run power was gone. I mean, this was a guy who last year got off to a really good start with home runs. He only hit two. And, you know, it's it's kind of a, to me, okay, there. Tom, by the way, on YouTube says pitch clock probably has the wear and tear for a catcher moving fast, faster to set up with, and then McCann. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, but uh, either way, Jacoby Jones is what it is, and, and and you can blame the new front office people. And I know there's a lot of people who wanted Jacoby Jones to get a second chance, but his numbers in the second half in Toledo, he, he hit two thirty three in July, and after getting had a good start in June where he showed some sort of progress. It wasn't going to happen. And he's a guy who's just, to me at least, they're even trying him out in the infield. Or, I, but then after a while, I think they were just like, yeah, it doesn't want to, maybe he doesn't want to be here. So, along with um, Christian Stewart and uh, Adrian or Ellen Rodriguez, who probably will be signed by a Japanese league team, he won the MVP award, by the way. Congratulations to him. He was the AAA East 
Northeast MVP. Think. Nice. Yeah, he was. Um, yes. What's that? He actually was in Japan. I think last year before. I think that's where the oh, Tigers found right, him. Yeah. Um, he saw those he Japanese scouts uh, last week too. Remember? Yeah. He didn't perform terribly well there, so I wonder if the KBO was his next stop, Korea, which would uh, probably fit him pretty well too. But yeah, you know, you had an awesome season. It is interesting. You, you see these minor league veterans and we've talked before about the uh, triple a locker room could be the most depressing place on earth and you know jacoby jones i think basically hung it up when he got designated for assignment and nobody nobody uh you know claimed him it's basically like oh okay well I, I guess nobody wants me nobody thinks i'm good enough and so you know he was he was clocking like four nine first uh or home to first times and just you know and after a while it's like okay he's just here having some meals but then you see guys like Josh Lester, who basically played every day, and he's a he's a career minor leaguer. I think he is. I think his sixth season after being drafted, so he's technically available to uh, become a free agent in the minor leagues and, and move to a different organization. But they kept playing him because he was performing, and it seemed like he still was, you know, cared. Uh, but yeah, you know, and, and the other guys just get moved. Like I think Kristen Stewart probably would have liked to keep playing. Uh, but you know, you got Riley Green up, and so they want to play him. And uh, there's only so many. You know, they had Daz Cameron there for a while, and Badu was down there, so it's just like you know, he kind of got pushed out. You know, I agree with you on that one point, uh, specifically on Kristen Stewart. When when he came to Des Moines, uh, he was on the bench. He got into pinch hits in one of the games, and um, he struck one down the line, and he was busting his ass. He got thrown out at second. The guy made a wonderful throw um, to get him, but he was hustling. Uh, so I think you're right. I, I think it's a matter of attitude. Uh, I think he had the right attitude. He came in ready to play. I saw, I think September 15th was the game I was at. Mm. Uh, Jacoby Jones last start there until the last weekend. Um, he did look a little going through the motions. He was, he looked like, you know, the guy you see in Detroit, someone struck out a couple times and uh, just didn't have a lot of back control there. So, uh, yeah, I think they, they gave Jacoby all the chances he's ever going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's now it's a matter of does he hook on with another organization or does he end up with the uh, what are they called the Sugarland Skeeters down there in the independent ball? Well, you know? technically they're the Sugarland Skeeters now or uh, affiliate now. I think they're the Rangers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They were one of the two independent teams that were folded into minor league baseball with, with the uh, St. Paul. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, well, whatever the new incarnation of the yeah. show. He'll play for the Long Island Ducks, Uber, over go. in the Atlantic League. So, <laughs> but, uh, so fall is in the air, and our friends over at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins while you're grooming, if you know what I mean, wink. Make sure you keep things fresh as fall with the leaders in male grooming and a brand-new fourth-generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the... Ready, ready to leap in the fall with Manscaped. Join a 2 million worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. And there's inside this package, the Performance Package 4.0 has got the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker Ear Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Retriever Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. And the bag is very nice, very well-constructed. And Wait a minute, you have that? Yes, I do. I do. And I will next time show it on camera, but I did not think to bring it in my uh, office. 
So the fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin safe technology. It gives you the ability to turn on the 4,000 4, K LED spotlight on and off. We need a precise shave plus it's waterproof. So if you're shaving in the dark for some strange reason, there you go. And Uper is representing the cowboy style from this. And also the performance package has the weed whacker oh. to chop your weeds up your nose and ear. And look, my nose hair goes in like a banshee, and my, the one I have, the Weed Whacker, works perfectly. It works awesome. It does what it has to do because it has a 9,000 RPM motor power technology 360 rotary dual blade system to provide that. Make sure your nose doesn't get all trimmed, hit up and presents nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. So, uh, see, and, yeah, and use the, the, the crop preserver, all that stuff works really good. So, in that Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Make your balls a top priority this fall. Choose Manscaped. <laughs> your balls will thank you. All right. I, so. you know, I think I'd be a little bit concerned if my balls could thank me. <laughs> <laughs> I, think some, I think some people wouldn't leave the house. So... Um, <laughs> All right, but uh, no, it never yeah. the the end the the end that too. By the way, I did like one of my favorite jerseys I saw this year was the St. Paul jerseys. I love mm-hmm. those jerseys. Those jerseys were awesome. For whatever reason, it was just some. They had two different ones they were wearing during the Toledo series. The one that said Saints with the number on the or the name and number on the back looked really cool. But even the one that just said Saints with no n- name on the back and just a number, something simplistic about it. I really dug it, and I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's got a kind of a very classic feel to it, like yes. 40s, 30s style, where it's just very understated and, and like, yeah, it makes you feel like you're in the natural or something. So, yeah, I dug it. it, it was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were, they were a pretty bad team, but uh, the jerseys are yeah. all right. Well, they had no pitching. Mar- Miranda, Miranda, uh, it can hit. Yeah. He's a little, he's a little bit thick. I'm not sure if uh, third base has got a long-term solution for him, but yeah, he can hit. Yeah, definitely. He's in like 350 all year, and he was doing a very good job of getting on base, too, so. The good. Oh, that's good. The bad. Oh, that's bad. And the ugly. All right, it's now time for the good and the bad, the ugly. Uper, kick us off. All right, we're gonna change pace a little bit here, and you you guys are gonna tell me whether this next item is the good, the bad, or the barfy. (laughs) All right. right. We're in the we're in our Halloween Oktoberfest fall autumn celebration season Oktoberfest beer right here for instance online today i may have to order these tell me what you think good bad barfy was madison wisconsin jennifer street market making a beer brought spicy beer brought with a local Oktoberfest beer mixed in inside the casing to balance the spiciness of the sausage they're putting candy corns yeah. in the brat. Thumbs down on that. Oh yeah, yeah. What? So I never, I, I never liked candy corn. I never, it never appealed to me at all. And then my friend's mom started making this every Halloween. She would make this snack that was like Spanish peanuts with candy corn. Ooh. And 
it's they go well like really well together and i was like huh well all right i can handle this but uh yeah i don't think i want it with me no 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 i mean no no well Roger's ideas are, are, are max matching with my wife and daughter and everybody else in this house, except for me. I would try those in an instant. You have to have an open mind and try things. Somebody thinks it's good. They made it. They think it's good. I think if, the, if it's really spicy and then the sweetness of the candy corn kind of mixed together and balanced, I think that could be pretty solid. Honestly, like, look, I, I open my when it comes to food because I eat everything. Look at me. But <laughs> candy corn... Is one of the few things candy corn is one of the few things that lima beans and liver and there's another food I really like can't talk about right now <laughs> that I can't do it. I just I can't do candy corn. I tried and it just I had or oh I'm sorry Mike and Ike's Mike and Ike's and some like black licorice I, I can't do either because it just makes me sick. Like when I was a kid I had too many Mike and Ike's and I got really sick from it and I couldn't I've never been able to taste the same like that. So I, you got if you got enough you know spicy sausage and some beer going through you you'd probably be fine. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, I for the most part, I'll try a lot of different things. Uh, you know, Riley and I were just talking the other day how we we don't what was it like fried unusually unusual fried foods we're yeah. not into. Like, I don't want to I don't want a fried Twinkie or a fried Snickers or a fried stick of butter or whatever. Or Oreo, like, yeah, Oreo, yeah, yeah, I don't want any of that. I like you know fried chicken. Or donuts, but yeah, don't. Oh man, fried chicken so good, so yeah. clutch. You All imagine. right, what's uh, what's next? All right, well, let's go back to baseball. Um, I thought one of the bad moves last night. I don't know if it turned a game. I don't want to go that far, but it's something we see in the National League a lot, uh, especially in the playoffs. Uh, Mike Schilt last night, when he did uh, let Adam Wainwright bat with two outs in the fifth in a tie game with a runner on, uh, he let him. Uh, you know, face a high velocity pitcher who had his his chances of getting hit there were probably not much more than my chances of getting hit in that bat, really. Um, and then bad enough, you know, he he faced one pitch and he tapped it out to first base, and then that was it. Um, they allowed him to bat instead of you know trying to score some runs, and then in the next inning, Wainwright gets the first out, no problem. He allows a swinging bunt single. I mean, it was barely nicked by Trey Turner, but he beat it out because it was just perfectly placed. And then they pulled him for letting one runner get on base with a guy who didn't even hit the ball. Um, I just I thought that was particularly poor, you know, uh, management because if you're going to pull a guy because of getting one batter on base the next inning, then you might as well have sent up a pinch hitter and tried to score in the previous inning, uh, because I just think that if the barrier for get, uh, the level for getting pulled is one runner, you know, let a new reliever come in and start clean. So I, and again, did that cost in the game? Probably not, but it just, it was a, it was an opportunity to score that they let go away. Um, my other thing, uh, Garrett Cole, it could be a good, could be a bad It's good. The Yankees lost Garrett Cole, uh, nine years, $324 million contract. Obviously, he's a good pitcher, but he really struggled down the stretch this year. Uh, allowed some home runs. Um, you know, if you're going to sign a guy to a $324 million contract. You're going to put him on the mound in, in a wild card game, and that's the game that he's got to bring home for you. 
and he wasn't there. So that's got to be a pretty big disappointment to the Yankees organization. Really interesting to see where they go. I mean, Aaron Boone gets a lot of uh, a lot of grief uh, for what they haven't done, but they I think they've averaged like 99 or 98 wins uh, during his tenure. <laughs> so, I mean, do you, do you want to call him a failure or not? It seems like a lot of Yankee fans do, but um, I thought Gary Cole really uh, kind of let them down last night or the night before last and really down the stretch in general. That's a good call. Yeah, you know, that was an interesting one because my, my brother was like, why? He said on the podcast that Cole had like his final five stats were really bad. And he's like, why did they pitch him? I'm like, well, we're paying him $36 million a year. And also he was one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh you know, I mean, you know, their best pitcher over the final month was Nestor Cortez. I don't know if you're going to throw Nestor Cortez out there in a, in a huge game. And that's just the, part of what makes the playoffs fascinating is, is you, you know, your, your elite starter, the guy you were getting all this money to, he has a bad game. Sometimes that happens to everybody. Uh, like we were talking earlier, the opposite was, was Max Scherzer, was the best pitcher in baseball for the last couple months. He went out and wasn't sharp either. So it's like, it's just kind of a roll of the dice sometimes in the postseason. But yeah, you know how New York is. They're, they're gonna they're gonna ignore Cole <laughs> having a six win season or whatever, and, and and only focus on him. You know, and it's probably rightfully so. When you're paying a guy that much money, you need him to to step up for you at the biggest time. But I don't know. I guess maybe they could just trade him. Hopefully. <laughs> All right, Chris, what's um, yours? Uh, good, man, the ugly. Uh, so uh, yeah, my good. I've got Jordan Alvarez who uh, today went two for three with a home run, a double, and a walk. And I, I don't know, I, it's, it's, I think part of it is his injury issues, and part of it is just the, the strange year that was last year and then him not having a full season the year before. But I, I don't know if people quite realize how good of a hitter he is, it, it, like historically. He's only 24, and uh, he, he's you know 233 career games, but he's got a career 948 OPS. A, a 150 OPS plus in his career. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, and I looked it up, it's the 25th best OPS ever for a player in his first 230 games. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny to look at, look at some of these other guys. Like Chuck Klein is number one in the first 23 games ever or 230 games ever. You got Ted Williams, number three. <laughs> Lance Berkman, number six. Pujols, number nine. Aaron Judge, 11. Tatis is 12, 982 OPS. Uh, but then you got, yeah, you got uh, Jordan Alvarez at 25, Ryan Klesko at 26, name Lou Gehrig at 29, Juan Soto at 30, A-Rod at 32. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's like I mean, it just, just all-time hitters. And I don't know, I, I just – maybe it's because he's on the Astros and they have, uh, you know, Correa and Altuve and Springer and all those other guys. And uh, like I said, get noticed. But this is like an elite, elite hitter. And if he can stay healthy, he's going to put up like – Cabrera numbers in his prime, I think. So that's kind of fun. Uh, and this is where, you know, my stat, my stat had uh, kind of failing me today. So I don't have a ton here, but uh, my bad, it was just what I accidentally posted in our chat was that the Cardinals in that game against the Dodgers went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position mm. uh, and left 11 men on base. And I was trying to find. I, I was trying to find the number of games like that in the postseason history where, where a team went over 11 runners in square views. I couldn't find it. Uh, but I did find that the, the Cardinals had just two games all season where they left 11 men on base and scored one run or fewer. So 
that's a bummer to do that twice in a, a year and then do it in your only playoff game. Uh, it's got to well, it's got to sting. And I think that I I heard the number, but I forget it. But their their numbers with runners in scoring position over the month of September during that hot stretch were off the charts. So, yeah. It, so they just fell off a cliff last night. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all. But uh, again, that's the uh, the dangers of a one game playoff. You you, yep. you, you know. Uh, you could always, I always say, like, you know, a ball could hit a bag, and then that could be it. Um, in my ugly, uh, similarly, I, I couldn't find, I was trying to find stats for this, but uh, my ugly is Lance Lynn, uh, who after today's rough outing, Lynn now owns a career 5-2-8 ERA in 58 postseason innings, Oof. which, uh, you know, and to be fair, a lot of those came as a reliever early on in, with the Cardinals. But, uh, yeah, 58 innings, 65 hits, 30 walks. It's a one six four whip. Opponents are hitting two eighty six against him. I mean, he's been one of the best pitchers. Chicago sucks. <laughs> he, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last couple of years, and and yeah, I mean that's rough. Like it's it's a relatively small sample, and you know maybe one elite outing or you know could lower his ERA, but uh, yeah, that's not what you want from your your game one starter in a postseason series. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's uh, gonna be an Achilles heel for the White Sox. Man, that's you know, and I know that he was the ace of the Sox all year long, but it's just postseason is a different beast altogether. Mm-hmm. So my good and it's Cardinal related is one Emundo Sosa who produced a three point two WAR season, and it's one of those things where you're looking at you look at the postseason, and you're like, who the, who is this guy? And prior to this season, he only played eleven games total, and a cup of coffee in, in twenty eighteen, same in twenty nineteen. It comes up and just does a pretty good slash line, 271, 346, 389. Not a lot of power, six home runs, but he did have a couple of plays last night where kind of he missed a single that kind of, I think it was off Seager, that he could have made that play. But overall, it's another thing. It's one of those, we talked about this, year in, year out. The Cardinals find dudes that you don't, have never heard of and make them into productive players. That's a pretty good season. Play a shortstop. I wish Tigers had that kind of luck getting shortstop luck like that. But again, just he's from Panama. He played in the Panama team, the world team classic in 2017. So that's the last time I remember because I actually paid attention to the world baseball classic, but it's just strange to think like just out of nowhere. And that's how the Cardinals always seem to get guys like that. Anyway, bad, Tommy, Ed, Tommy Edmonds, another one. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, yeah. That's a good call too. That's another one. Oh. I'm like, who, who's that guy? Exactly. Yeah. No, they're yeah, their whole infield. Tommy Edmond, uh Paul Young. <laughs> yeah, yes. Matt Carpenter came from nowhere when he was really good. It just uh yeah, they they, they do this all the time. Yeah, it sounds like you made up of those names too. And I know you didn't, but it's just all jokes aside. Um my bad is the and it's NL West flavored, and it's two things. First of all, the Padres firing Jace Tingler, their manager, kind of the fall guy for what happened and really necessarily not his fault. He took what was given to him and they fired the pitching coach and Larry Rothschild, which we've mentioned a couple times already, but he was a fall guy. And again, Sandy, who's looking for another manager and after not taking, not wanting to interview Dave Roberts, who's back at the postseason. So told you so maybe, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what, either way, uh, San Diego is under a lot of stress right now. And they're going to be interesting to see what they do this offseason, if they're going to have a fire sale, which they've done in the past numerous times, or what they're going to do to, to get addressed to more pitching. So, And the other part of my bad is 
interesting enough is the new general manager in Colorado, who is interim manager in Bill Schmidt. And the first thing he does is give a five-year contract extension to Antonio Cezanita or Santella. Yes, Cezatella. Cezatella. And it's guaranteed he'll be making fifty million, fifty point five million dollars. He also has, a, and there's a club option for 2027. Um, he was heading towards arbitration, so in a way, it, it makes sense. But this is a guy who has one among lower tier of the strike zone rates, and he was only going to he was going to get a raise only up to three million dollars. So now he gets he'll earn seven point two five seven point two twenty five million in both or seven point two five million in both. 2022 and 2023, then he gets a bump up raise at 12 million from 2024 to 2026. Wow. I mean, this is, I, you know, I, I, he, he had an ERA from, you know, like in terms of 10.34 from July to September a couple of years back. So this is, I mean, he's been, a guy who he's been a workhorse, but I don't know. That just seems a little, uh, I don't know. It's just, I one thing know. we I, know. I one thing we know, he's got a good agent. Yes. Definitely. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, I kind of forgot about him. Cause he was a guy who, who came up and was like, Hey, he's a solid pitcher. You know, they, when the Rockies had kind of an interesting pitching staff there for a while with Marquez and, and gray and Cincinnati. Yeah, and like the Fangraphs, he was a three and a half win pitcher this year, which like sure give that guy ten million dollars a year, I guess. Uh, but it was still a four and a half ERA. You know, it's Colorado, so you take what you get. But his success this year was mostly rooted in avoiding home runs, and he he's been a decent you know ground ball anti home run pitcher in his career. But just two years ago, he was not. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a six ERA in twenty nineteen. So. Yeah, it was that was confusing, and you know, then they they resigned uh, CJ Crown too, which yeah, he had a good year, and it, it, it just I don't know, it's it is a little bit odd. Uh, it's like Colorado wants to keep certain players uh, to like prove that like hey, we care, <laughs> but it's not the good players. Like Crown is Crone is a solid first baseman. I don't mean to disparage him, but it's like yeah, they didn't sign John Gray or Trevor Story. Or even the, the the other pitcher who I thought they were going to resign and should give an extension to. And I was, again, this is a, who, a guy who have advocated for the Tigers to go after. And they have, and by the way, Crohn's, um, uh, uh, Herman Marquez, which I really mm-hmm. hope that there would be a nice move to make for him. But in terms of Crohn's splits, by the way, his splits on the road are horrendous. Like he bats like 231 on the road, comparatively speaking at home where he's batting 323. But Either way, it's that's a part of that bad too. I was gonna say about Crone splits, and it is what it is. And and I, again, I think it's also trying to to prove the fans, like you said, Chris. Hey, we care. We're signing our guys. Yeah. Um, and the ugly is the Mets, and the Mets have are continuing to clean house across the board, and they fired everybody on the staff. Um, but. The only person that survived the whole thing was pitching coach Jeremy uh, Hefner, but he will be, he'll be something else. Um, also, same thing with Hugh Quattle Baum and hitting coach Kevin Howard will be also staying in the organization somehow. Uh, of course, Luis Rojas was fired. So they're looking to just kind of 
clean or towards a clean state. And then the Mets were in contact with Theo Epstein, but Theo Epstein, there's no ground with it, what have you. And and look, if I'm Theo Epstein, why the hell would I come there? And I, I know that New York fans have sent some title like, oh, New York. And da, 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 da. That's who we are. But uh, no, I mean, it's just you have a giant mess to clean up. And it's just it's even when we watched the documentary on the 86 Mets and they had a baseball guy from Baltimore come in. Even then, that was he had a he had a clean up mess and it wasn't sustainable. So I think New York's a different beast altogether. But either way, um, they're also another name to bring up there's Billy Bean, who it makes sense because he did play for the Mets. So he's familiar with that area. But either way, the Mets are just the Mets. And I feel like we're going to be dunking on them all season. There's going to, what's going to happen though, the Mets are going to sign some people and tighter targets. So there we go. And that is the good and the bad and the ugly for the week. And we have some questions, Chris. We have some really good questions this week. So. Well, so I saw one of them. I didn't see the other or others. So I'll go with the one I saw. We got from Nick. We had the one from Nick from a couple days ago. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, you'll have to. to you know, I'll, read I'll, I'll take the lead on that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's start with that first one. <laughs> so the first one is from Deadly Ninja Bees, which I hope sweet is just a nickname. Name. Hope it's that a nickname. A, not, I hope not. If not, you have a sweet ass nickname. Yeah. At Deadly Bees. Uh, how much of the Tigers' success this year came against good pitching? Seems like they mostly scored off bad bullpen arms. It's when he originally wrote this, that didn't like match my perception, like the narrative I built in my head this year right. of how the Tigers. To me, the Tigers actually did pretty well against good teams, and it was like it, it, it did pretty well against bad teams. It was those middling teams that really gave them fits for some reason. So, like the Angels and the Twins and the Royals, and Cleveland, like all. You know, all of them in the division. Yeah. They just they just couldn't beat them. But, you know, they went out and they, you know, I, I looked it up. What did they do? They went 36 and 33 this year against teams with a 500 record or better. So they were better against good teams than they were against uh, not good teams. But it doesn't tell us exactly what Deadly Bees wants to know. He just wants to know uh, how they performed against better pitchers. And, and I actually had a hard time kind of, figuring this out. I didn't really know how to split it. Like you go to baseball reference and they have all sorts of different splits. Uh, so one thing uh, you could see that the Tigers, their best team OPS came in the innings four through six, which makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, that's the innings when you're getting the starter for the second or third time, or you're getting or like, you know, not the best relievers. Long reliever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I saw they had a 696 OPS against teams above 500 and a 716 OPS against teams under 500, which is, you know, a 20-point difference. Noticeable, not huge, and, and makes sense. You know, the, the good teams are going to have a little bit better pitching. The, the biggest difference I could find for their splits was their performance uh, in what baseball reference teams are uh, terms as, as power pitchers versus finesse pitchers. And I was looking at how they define that as a power pitcher is being in the top third in the league in strikeouts plus walks. I don't know what they mean by strikeouts plus walks. I assume, yeah, you know, we can picture in our head what a power pitcher is. They get a lot of strikeouts and they don't walk a lot of guys, I guess. I, um, but the the Tigers had a 598 OPS against power pitchers and 759 against finesse pitchers. Ooh. So, yeah, huge difference between that. And, and I looked it up. You know, the Astros had the best offense in baseball this year. They had a 768 OPS against power pitchers and 830 against finesse. So <laughs> they hit everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think the Tigers need to be better hitters. Uh, they, they, they need better hitters 
to be more productive. Uh, I looked up on Statcast, and they, you know, they're a bottom third against fastballs, bottom third against pitches above ninety-five, bottom third against breaking balls, top ten against off-speed this year. So, so yeah, you know, they need to get some guys who could hit, you know, harder pitches. I guess. I I looked but, it up. I looked it up in Baseball Reference via the schedule and who they faced. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there was a stretch here in April where they lost to the White Sox eleven to nothing. Back to back games. The White Sox eleven to nothing April 29th, and then April 30th against the Yankees, they lost ten to nothing. And they were out. Yeah, so they got their they got their asses kicked. Dylan Cease and Garrett Cole were the starters. So they didn't feel mm-hmm. there. And then on May 2nd against Corey Kluber, who's he's not, you know, the Corey Kluber of the past. He beat him. And then the in terms of uh Shane Beaver got his revenge because he the Tigers beat him opening day. So yeah. the, in terms of good pitchers there, you got that. But then Again, it, what comes up again, Dylan Cease wins again against a 3 nothing against him in, on June 6th. And you kind of go through there in terms of even other like names that come up. Cease beats him again on the 12th, 15-2. And Otani lost to him. They lost to – now Alex Cobb's not considered a ace, but Lance McCullers on June 26th. So – They did beat McCullers earlier in the year. Yeah, when he was sick, um, when he was on his deathbed. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the uh, yeah, his deathbed. Yeah, well, but I think you know, yeah, like I remember them having a pretty good, not a, like a good game, but they hung in there against Robbie Ray and against the Brewers pitchers and stuff like that. So they, they were, and Cease has just owned them in his entire career, I think, for some reason. Yeah, but, Sean Manea from too from Oakland also beat him, beat them as well. Yeah, well, I mean, all those. Well, they went one and six against Oakland, and of course, because that's what similar record against the Angels. Uh, yeah, the one the one bad Angels pitcher they faced, and they beat up on Jose Quintana. Then they went and lost that game. What was because it was thirteen to ten or whatever that ridiculous game? <laughs> they lost to Rayu from Toronto. They also yeah. lost to Otani again in August. So Berrios when he was in Toronto. So I think Dirty Bees has got he or is it Ninja Bees? Uh, Deadly, Deadly, Deadly Ninja Bees. Deadly Ninja Bees, which sounds like a Wu Tang song, Wu Tang Clan song. I think he's got some merit to it. So, from what I can see from the box score review, that's I, he's right about that to a certain extent. I, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is that uh, good pitchers are probably good against most teams. <laughs> you know, I, I think most teams probably do better against. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't remember many games where the Tigers just came in and there and destroyed bad relievers. Like you know, the the, the Tampa game that you took me to, Raj. That, that they uh, they beat up on some of Tampa's best relievers. Like that, that's how they won that game. Um, mm-hmm. They did have a lot of games where they seemed to come back and, and score late in late in the. You know, sometimes they didn't go all the way. So maybe that's a little bit of it. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wasn't able to to break it down, but. Uh, it's a matter of perception, I suppose. I, I think they, uh, I think like most teams, they struggle against good pitching, except for the Astros, apparently. It just goes back to, you know, we can talk. What does it mean for next year? Uh, you know, it, what we, Jonathan Scope basically had two, two killer months, right? June and July, he just was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of a guy the rest of that season, uh, rest of the season. Cabrera's going to be a year older. Uh, you know, Candelaria proved that he can be a player. I think that was the biggest development of the whole season, to be honest, uh, in a lot of respects, because 
he took that short season of 2020 and brought it into this year and, and became a player. So that was good. Uh, but there's just so many other guys. You know, Robbie Grossman had a career year at the age of 32. Is he going to do that again? Um, you know, where this offense goes next year is so reliant on on Green and Torkelson being real and what they can do this winter. It was just, to me, so little of it's going to be about the guys who are in-house. Um, they, they still have so much building to do in the lineup. Yeah, the, the uh, I don't know. Like I think you, you nailed it. Like the, the scope thing, everybody was into it because he was ranking at the time. But yeah, like we, all, I think we mentioned a bunch of times. This is a guy who has always swung at just about everything, and and guys like that have super hot streaks and then go into really long funks because it's just the way it is. But uh, huh? so what, what was the other question, Raj? Or sorry. So I'm so um we you know. I don't know, unless you have it, you I'm pulling it up right now. It's taking me, my computer's running really slow. But so Nick asked us, a, it was a good question in regards to, I think it was a continuation for something else. I'm trying to find it right here. But as, of course, we're doing a show meeting as we're trying to find this. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry, I didn't. Uh, no, it's okay. I, no, no, it's, I did look back and, and they did not do well against Robbie Ray. For some reason in my head, I thought they did uh, okay against Robbie Ray and, and Maybe they did. They kept him from winning, I think, is what happened. <laughs> but he struck out 11 batters, and they got one run. And then they lost in extra innings, I believe. Or, but, uh, oh, here it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. This is from our buddy Nick and friend of the show. Good listener. I'm curious what you guys think on this specific quote from Avila. Do you think the Tigers Oh, that's want, right. Yeah. Do you think the Sorry. Tigers don't want to make moves to trade minor leaders because they're admitting the system is deep, deep enough to justify it? We discussed it earlier, and I think his comments based that I think he's basically saying that their system is not deep enough. That's what I think because they've come with some again. We've seen progress in developmental ways, but they're not deep. They can't even again. They had to do the AAA veteran starter route this year between I'm sorry between even Double A too, where they had to have veterans in there. Like they started Mark Leiter Jr. in Erie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not you know that's not. Franklin Press was out for the year. Fido was out for the year. Wentz was your only healthy prospect, big starter prospect. Risky, White, Hill, they're unknown. Even Adam Wolf, same thing. They're all unknowns heading into the season. So um, I think we answered the question pretty well. But it, to further pontificate my point, look at the outfield depth. I mean, it's, it's bare bones. I mean, in terms of look at guys who could come up right now and help out outside of uh, Riley Green. Think about that for a second. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 the guys that we've kind of already seen a little bit of. It's Daz Cameron, it's Derek Hill, it's it's yeah. There's nobody. I don't think Jacob Robson is is going to stick on the forty man roster or probably get another chance. So yeah, it's uh, you know, maybe uh, Eric De La Rosa has a, a breakout next year some more and it becomes interesting. But uh, you know, Daniel Cabrera was a little bit disappointing this year. Um, uh, production. Mm-hmm. And I, I did find that, find the, uh, I found that in the, the quote, what he said, Alavila says he's quote, still very sensitive to trading prospects for established players. He said yeah. the team's minor league overhaul is in quote, phase two. The goal is to maintain stability for the long term. So yeah, we, we did kind of discuss that, but that is an interesting, very sensitive to trading prospects for established players. Um, so you look at what Henning said the other day, we talked about it last week on the podcast, mm-hmm. his, his tweet 
about trading, he speculated on mice. Yeah. Obviously oh, that's he got off. a lot. He got ratioed the death on that too. I'm sure he did. Um, so, but that's off the big league roster. But you know, Mize is still establishing himself. Uh, he's as a rookie. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. Lynn didn't even talk about really any of the prospects. I think he knows uh, Torkelson and Green aren't going nowhere. So um, don't trade the prospects because all the people will get pissed off. Don't yeah, I mean, it's, don't say we. That, don't say we spent. You're not the team. Sorry, go ahead. Well, the yeah, the one that I think kind of hope for it's like hey you know Kreidler is legit they trade him and then they, they you know they sign a shortstop and trade Kreidler for somebody or he plays third or whatever um you know one thing I'm reading deep between the lines here but uh you know what Avila says you know sensitive to trading it feels a little bit like uh you know I was talking about the Rays earlier you know the Rays don't trade for uh you know guys in their fifth or sixth year who are going to be free agents soon they trade for guys who are in like their first second year it's it's about it, it to me it, it almost feels like that's not a consideration for alavila like in his head you either trade vets for prospects or trade prospects for vets on big deals or something like that like there's not that middle ground where like you you make an incremental improvement through smaller trades or you know just I think back to like the Jazz Chisholm Zach Gallon trade between Arizona and, and Florida. Like those are two young players. One of them was a prospect, one of them was in like his first year. Yeah. And the teams had different needs and different depths and, and they went for it. So it's like I don't I don't know if he was specifically answering a question about established vets or about trades in general, but I I, I they're definitely going to have to make some trades in the near future to yep. fix holes in the roster. They can't do it all with free agency or prospects. They don't have the prospects and they don't have the money. So they've got to make some trades. And, yeah. and not everybody not everybody can be untouchable. I mean, I saw someone right. tweet the other day that Green and Torkelson are untouchable. Okay, maybe they are, but I don't think you can go with that mindset. I think if you're trying to make the perfect omelet, you're going to have to crack some of your eggs, right? You, you can't keep them all. Um, so it's interesting, <laughs> I was thinking back, when we dealt, not we, who, see, George, you put that in mind. Sorry, it's sorry. You, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm, you, yeah, you, you never say we, you never do, so uh, my bad. You do that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> when they dealt um, for Cabrera, you know, and Maybe. Maven was a top 10 prospect, and uh, Andrew Miller was, uh, I was almost the first pick in the draft until he fell because of money. Uh, those are two high-end prospects. You know, if, if they were in the Tiger system now, uh, at the level they're in, and the Tiger and Avila was looking to trade them. What would people be saying? You know, about, who, yeah. who, would the, who would the Miguel Cabrera be? Yeah, I mean, Juan Soto. It, well, yeah. yeah, Soto would be a prime example of that. But I hate when fans come up with these. Well, if we trade this person for Juan Soto or whatever, no, teams are not. I understand that people in baseball are much smarter than me. I freely admit that all day long. I'm not dumb enough to go in and suggest something outrageous. It's not going to happen. I honestly, it did. And that annoys me, especially when I post a trade piece. Well, it's a trade piece. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to trade anybody. How do you know? A and B as a list, as a, as a reader or a listener of the podcast, it's called using my imagination. I'm using my imagination to see if anything's possible. I'm not going to pretend I'm a smart blogger, snotty asshole to you. And I'm going to throw things out there that you may or may not like. And guess what? I don't care. That's fine. 
It might happen. It may not. If that doesn't happen, I'm wrong. So what? We move on. And to me, Chris is, you guys, you guys are absolutely right. They have to make a trade. They have to, because if they're not going to spend the money and there's teams out there, look at the A's, the, the tributes to the A's, the A's are going to be dumping people left and right. They can't afford it. So there's teams out there in that same financial crunch that may or may like even Arizona, Arizona right now is in a mess right now too, because they have, they're not sure what direction they're going to be taking. And the Brewers, same thing. Brewers might be even doing something in the, in the off season. I don't know. The point is you can't rule out anything. And I think for the first time in a long time, and I know Alvila is the face, but I think there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. I think there's people, I know that the, the new promotion guys and, and Sam and, um, uh, Sam, who's the other? Sam Renzen and Jay Sartori. Yeah, Jay Sartori. They weren't at the press conference, but I'm sure they're sitting there back there, like, get their hands up, like, just or going, trade it or whatever. <laughs> Sam and Jay are doing a lot of things behind the scenes and they're demonstrating and orchestrating something. So, again, nothing's out of the realm of possibility. I just want them to be aggressive. I want them to continue to make improvements. And that's all we can ask for as fans. Yeah. Yeah, when uh, right when you uh, said you know Torkelson and Green were untouchable, I was gonna go full like youth pastor, and, like you know who else was untouchable, and I was gonna mention uh, Maven and Miller, who were both top ten prospects. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean if 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 that generational player is out there, move uh, Green and Torque. Maybe it's Green that's the generational player, but yeah, I mean, and and to be fair, that was a team that was closer to competition. You know, they had just gone to the World Series a couple of years. Ago. Um, and. We tend, as fans, uh, and even analysts, just kind of throw everything on Alavila's shoulders. Like, oh, Alavila signed Jordan Zimmerman and uh, Mike Pelfrey and Mark Lowe. Like, Alavila isn't out there running the details on every deal. He's not right. out there scouting every player. He, he makes the final decisions uh, or, you know, the second to final with the owner. It's the it's – the, front office team that's doing this stuff and in in that case it was probably chad and littlefield and, and whoever else was there at the time saying like hey these are the guys we want and him going okay i mean oh, after mark Lowe, man he's a different thinker well yeah i mean he had had a good year but i mean you still avila is the one who makes the final decision or whatever he, he could certainly say no that guy's no good so you you ping him but it's not like 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 we said like you know yeah that's he's not the one figuring out their offseason plan for the most part uh, he's just can't, kind of there. Can't you just imagine the front office meeting with Jordan when they're discussing Jordan Zimmerman and they were saying, oh, he'll win. He's good for 17 wins every year, you know? Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. He's, gonna win he's, a, he's durable. He's, uh, he's reliable. All that stuff. Let's see, yeah. Uh, yep, 200 innings, 199 innings, 213 innings, 195 innings, the four seasons before that. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, that was the it for the questions. Yeah, that was it for the questions. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I will, um, you know, to me, it's just one of, I, I just hope that people come with the reasonable expectations with this. And um, that's why I hope it happens because, quite frankly, it's just, I, I don't want another offseason. Of people complaining, and again, I know people don't trust um, Avila, and and I I understand why, but I think there's like you said, Chris, there's a lot more to it. So, 
Well, well, yeah, and not to like keep this going on forever, but like, I don't think it would make people terribly happy uh, if it happens where they end up signing like five Robbie Grossman contracts, like five more dudes that are, you know, five, six billion dollar deals. But if they did that and they perform like Robbie Grossman, that's like you're improving your team by like 10 wins. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. I mean, there are ways to go about this that are smart. And, uh, you know, I think everybody was fine with the Grossman sign. You know, you don't want to count on him as being like, the, you know, key cog in your offense. Like people say, and he's a little bit older, but you get a bunch of those dudes, you, you can be competitive. Well, it'd just be so interesting to see if they at least loosen the purse strings to get to a league average payroll. You know, yep. I think they were 45 million below the league average this year. Um, there's no excuse for that. It's not, you know, uh, with the market they're in and with the Illich mm -hmm. fortune behind them uh, that they're not spending. So you got to believe that they should be able to get the two or three bats in free agency or trade and maybe two starting pitchers. And, and, and then, in, then it's up to Torkelson and green and yeah. see how that all comes together. Yeah. So on that note though, thank you for listening to tires radio pod here at motorcybangles.com. And if you have not, please go check out our Patreon and check out our two tiers. And also on our podcast page for search for uh, pop page, we also have a donation button. If you want to donate or help out the show goes back into production, goes back into all the travel we did this year. And again, somebody, it was somebody this summer really pissed me off when they were like, why are you having this guy on? He he's, he's not an expert, blah, 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 or whatever. Oh. And the, that douchebag and um, I can say his name, but he either way was kind of like, oh, why? And I say I do it for free. He goes, you shouldn't be doing this for free. I'm like, I do it because I like to. I don't get paid a lot, but I do like doing this because I like to. So you know, screw you, dude. Anyway, <laughs> but the point is, if um, if people want to throw a few bucks, great. That's cool with us. And if not, no big deal. I mean, you know, it, 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 everything goes back into what we do. Make show sounds better. Show shows sound better. And hopefully we can get the spring training. Or my goal is to get some extra funds to go to spring training. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So either way, uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully Uper may or may not be here, but he uh, again, um, he'll let us know. Otherwise, have a good week, everybody. Hey, Walter, no problem. <laughs> oh, <laughs> happy off. Yeah, you know Walter will be still be on during the off season. So well, uh, definitely. Uh, if you want to watch the recording, go for it, man. So have a good one. It's thrilling. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. 
for the love of home.